Part 1 continued. He had met in Paris another young Norwegian called Anson, and the two of them now decided to form a partnership and become shipbrokers. A shipbroker is a person who supplies a ship with everything it needs when it comes into port. Fuel and food, ropes and paint, soap and towels, hammers and nails, and thousands of other tiddly little items. A shipbroker is a kind of enormous shopkeeper for ships, and by far the most important item he supplies to them is the fuel on which the ship's engines run. In those days, fuel meant only one thing. It meant coal. There were no oil-burning motor ships on the high seas at the time. All the ships were steamships, and these old steamers would take on hundreds and often thousands of tons of coal in one go. To the shipbrokers, coal was black gold. My father and his newfound friend, Mr. Anson, understood all this very well. It made sense, they told each other, to set up their shipbroking business in one of the great coaling ports of Europe. Which was it to be? The answer was simple. The greatest coaling port in the world at that time was Cardiff in South Wales. So off to Cardiff they went, these two ambitious young men carrying with them little or no luggage. But my father had something more delightful than luggage. He had a wife, a young French girl called Marie, whom he had recently married in Paris. In Cardiff, the shipbroking firm of Anson and Dahl was set up and a single room in, in Butte Street was rented as an office. From then on, we have what sounds like one of the most exaggerated fairy stories of success, but in reality, it was the result of tremendous hard and brainy work by those two friends. Very soon, Anson and Dahl had more business than the partners could handle alone. Larger office space was acquired and more staff were engaged. The real money then began rolling in. Within a few years, my father was able to buy a fine house in the village of Landaff, just outside Cardiff, and there his wife Marie bore him two children, a girl and a boy. But tragically, she died after giving birth to the second child. When the shock and sorrow of her death had begun to subside a little, my father suddenly realized that his two small children ought, at the very least, to have a stepmother to care for them. What is more, he felt terribly lonely. It was quite obvious that he must try to find another himself another wife, but this was easier said than done for a Norwegian living in South Wales who didn't know very many people. So he decided to take a holiday and travel back to his own country, Norway. And who knows, he might, if he was lucky, find himself a lovely new bride in his own country. Over in Norway during the summer of 1911, while taking a trip in a small coastal steamer in the Oslo Fjord, he met a young lady called Sophie Magdalene Hesselberg. Being a fellow who knew a good thing when he saw one, he proposed to her within a week and married her soon after that. Harold Dahl took his Norwegian wife on a honeymoon in Paris and after that back to the house in Landaff. The two of them were deeply in love and blissfully happy and during the next six years she bore him four children. A girl, another girl, a boy, me, and a third girl. There were now six children in the family, two by my father's first wife and four by his second. A larger and grander house was needed and the money was there to buy it. So in 1918, when I was two, we all moved into an imposing country mansion beside the village of Radar, about eight miles west of Cardiff. I remember it as a mighty house with turrets on the roof and with the majestic lawns and terraces all around it. There were many acres of farm and woodland and a number of cottages for the staff. Very soon, the meadows were full of milking cows and styes were full of pigs and chicken run was full of chickens. There were massive were several massive shire horses for pulling the plows and the hay wagons, and there was a plowman and a cowman and a couple of gardeners and all manner of servants in the house itself. Like his brother Oscar in La Rochelle, Harold Dahl had made it in no uncertain manner. But what interests me most about all of these two brothers, Harold and Oscar, is this. 
Although they came from a simple, unsophisticated, small-town family, both of them, quite independently of one another, developed a powerful interest in beautiful things. As soon as they could afford it, they began to fill their houses with lovely paintings and fine furniture. In addition to that, my father became an expert gardener and, above all, a collector of alpine plants. My mother used to tell me how the two of them would go on expeditions up into the mountains of Norway and how he would frighten her to death by climbing one-handed up steep cliff faces to reach small alpine plants growing high up on some rocky ledge. He was also an accomplished woodcarver, and most of the mirror frames in the house were his own work. So indeed was the entire mantelpiece around the fireplace in the living room, a splendid design of fruit and foliage and intertwining branches carved in oak. He was a tremendous diary writer. I still have one of his many notebooks from the Great War of 1914 to 18. Every single day during those five-year war years, he would write several pages of comment and observation about the events of the time. He wrote with a pen, and although no, although no 